1: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 25 through 30.
0: I got to a point where I was at a crossroads of, of a number of ways, and I was visited by Hal Lindsey, who uh, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, so to speak, and said, "Chuck, what do you enjoy most doing?" He knew what the answer was, because all through those adventurous years, my hobby, my outlook, was Bible studies. That's what I did for fun. He said, "What do you enjoy doing most?" And he knew what the answer. was, I just loved Bible studies. I always have. Has so, he ever thought about doing that full time? I never took myself seriously. Bible teaching. I did. The, I, I taught the Monday night studies at Calvary, but that was a, a, a recreation. I did that as casually as some people might teach Sunday school class on Sunday or something. You know. Just, it's something I did, but I did for some years, and the tapes from that went around a lot of places. But So I had a, a following of sorts. But, but Hal said, do you ever thought about doing full time? And I told him, I, I never felt that I felt called to be a pastor. He said, you don't have to be. Because says, you're following, you normally can't make it as independent. You could, as you, you're following, you could. But you give it a try. Well, yeah, that way, you, could, you you won't get rich, but you could probably survive, and you could do what you like best. And uh, okay, give that a try. And, and we did, and the Lord blessed it. But when I read... read Psalm 27, verse 4, I can relate to this because I have a second career for the last uh, 15, 20 years, whatever it's been, um, doing what used to be my hobby. I get to do what I do full time. I get to study the Bible full time. And a lot of the onerous chores that accompany this, I've got people that have picked up the ball. I really have a free ride. Went to Israel and, and, and when the water's cold And there's baptism Dan did it for me <laughs> Wherever I turned There was something That wasn't really You know Particularly attractive. Dan just jumped in And I had a free ride Had a blast Around here I get supported Incredibly well We just had a conference uh, At the Coeur Resort That's one of the most f- Phenomenal conference I've ever been involved in Never attended even Let alone be involved in And All kinds of people are doing all this tough stuff, making sure that all the T's are crossed and I's dotted. And I just got a chance to get up there and shoot my mouth off and mix with people who love the Lord. And and so I look at this. I, I, I consider David, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. This is David talking that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I am doing that as close as it's possible to do in this earthly life right now. I spend my time, most of my, not all my time obviously, but most of my time, pouring through commentaries, tracking down little treasures tucked in corners that other people have missed. I, I, that's, my, that's my biggest kick is discovering something in the word. I'll meet with my rabbinical friends and they'll show me something that I never knew about in the Old Testament and I come home with a nugget. That's a joy. That's a, there's nothing more fun than that and, and, and so forth. So I can relate to what he's saying here. Now he's saying it in a broader sense of course but I can understand that passion. That's what David was. David was a warrior. He, had all, you know, he was king. No, what he wanted to do is just be behold the beauty of the Lord inquire in his temple. Man, that's great stuff. One thing of I desire to the Lord, that I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's it. That's it. Now, let's watch carefully what's emerging in Psalm 27 in verses 5 and 6. David continues, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Really? In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. That's David's exclamation. I think it's an emotional exclamation. In the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up on a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Wait a minute. Time out. Is it possible that in David's flow of words here, the Holy Spirit did some editing? Is it possible the Holy Spirit has put a little hint in here about something? Let me tell you, frankly, one of the most authoritative seminaries in the country, Dallas Theological Seminary, would argue what I'm about to show, uh, tell you or suggest to you. They would, they would refute this possibility. So I want that being understood. I'm going to show you something that would be at, at least controversial. I want you to take a look at verse 5 very carefully. For in the time of trouble, what does that mean eschatologically? Great tribulation In the time of trouble he shall hide me In his pavilion What on earth is that In the secret Of his tabernacle That's where he's dwelling Shall he hide me He shall set me up upon a rock Now Paul would make the case In 1 Corinthians 10.4 And other places that the rock refers to Christ In general as a, as a metaphor It may or may not here, but let's assume it does This leads to a conjecture, I'm among those that suspect that the rapture of the church is hinted at three times in the Old Testament. This is one of them, Psalm 27, 5, that we've just stumbled into. Let's take a look at Isaiah 26, starting at verse 17 through 21. Isaiah 26, verse 17. It says, like as a woman with child... The draweth near the time of her delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pangs. So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. Birth pangs. What does Matthew say? All these things are the beginning of sorrows. No, birth pangs. Not really. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. Neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Now I get the next, I'm just giving you some context. These are the verses that I want you to focus on. Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Sounds like a re- resurrection to me. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Get this verse. This is my favorite, Isaiah 26:20. 20. Come, my people. Enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is overpassed, passed over. Come, my people. How many of you are God's people? Got most of your hands. That's pretty good. Okay. Enter thou in thy chambers. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am there may you be also. John 14 and following the next few chapters. Go through all that. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment. We're not going to be here during the indignation is what I think is that Harpazo is all about. Hide ourselves as it were, for a little moment until the indignation. What's the indignation? The wrath of God. Called the indignation in a number of places. You can chase that down, look it out for yourself, for what it's worth. Come, my people, enter thou in thy chambers. Because then it continues, for behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. The word blood there is in the plural, if that means anything special. So i leave that with you. There's one more that I'll just throw in here to cause confusion, discussion on your way home. In Zephaniah, chapter one, verse 18, and if the last verse of chapter one, the first couple of verses of chapter two, I was doing this, I was putting this slide together this afternoon when I got a call from a friend of mine in Fresno, California, who asked, who's asking me a question about Zephaniah, chapter one, verse 18. I thought that's kind of interesting. It's as funny you should mention, Scott. Guess what I'm doing right now? <laughs> it happened, you know. And of course, there is no such, the coincidence is not a kosher word, the rabbis remind us. <laughs> Zephaniah says, neither silver nor gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. Ooh, that's a frightening phrase. The fire of God's jealousy, Who? For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation, not desired or not desire us. That can go either way there in that translation. Before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come down upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Then you get the verse I'm after, verse 3. Zephaniah 2, 3. Seek the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which ye have wrought in his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. That's kind of cool. I wouldn't build doctrine for any one of these verses. certainly not this last one. It could just be referring to the, the, those that are protected through the tribulation. That may be what it's referring to. But I just think these are three interesting little verses. You may want to include your notes. When someone says, the rapture's not in the Old Testament, you say, well, maybe it isn't, but let me show you three verses. Okay. So that's uh, Zephaniah 2.3. Okay, getting back to Psalm 27. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek, thee, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Verse 10 has been widely misunderstood by the critics. In fact, even Dillich, one of the most uh, profound of the exegetes, suggests this verse could have been written by someone else. Why? Because David's father and mother did never forsake him. That's because they haven't translated it properly. The reason uh, the, 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 that possibly is even considered uh, is because, you know, because of David's history. Actually, the term when my father should be translated, had my father and my mother forsaken me, then the Lord will take me up. In other words, when in the sense of if. It's not when as a point of time. It's when as a point of condition. So it's a translational difficulty that many people misunderstand. So it's it's not saying that your father and mother will forsake you. It's saying that should they do that, God will take you up. That's really what it's saying. That's simple. That way, it's obviously quite simple. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. And uh, (laughs) I was going through various commentators on this verse, and I was delighted by J. Vernon McGee. On this verse, he says, I always prayed to the Lord do not let me fall into a position where I'm at the mercy of the church leaders or a church board. (laughs) And, you know, I thought about that. One of the reasons I have been so comfortable in my ministry for my 60 years as a Christian is because in that entire time, I've never been on staff. Even at Calvary Chapel, I taught the Monday Night Bible studies there for 25 years, but I was not on staff. I was just, I just taught Monday Night Bible studies. And, and, when I, and I ha, I've, I've harbored that cynical attitude that I even got as a teenager uh, about church boards. And I was amused when, with uh, Jay Vernon's candor as he puts that in his commentary. I've always prayed to the Lord, do not let me fall in a position where I'm at the mercy of church leaders or a church board. And uh, so David said, deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe that cruelty. You know, it's tragic to realize how much Of the church politics is based on slander, hearsay, and not facing your accusers and uh, gossip. Organizations run on gossip. It's tragic. Anyway, uh, David continues. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And uh, so, Andrew Bonar, one of my favorite commentators in Leviticus, made the remark, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Before a battle, we should be very watchful, obviously, as a warrior. But when the victory is won, you should be no less watchful. And uh, Stuart Hamlin, in one of his songs, said, I know not what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That's another way to look at the whole thing. Okay. And we can, we can squeeze in a couple more here, maybe. The book of Psalms, Psalm 28. These are short ones. We'll zip through it. This wonderful little psalm has a cry. And David's in trouble here. Uh, the links between 26, 27, it suggests that David is still in the same life-threatening situation as we've inferred from the previous ones. And prophetically speaking, this may be referring to the tri- Israel in the tribulation. It's a prayer of judgment upon enemies and a praise for the deliverance they know will come, basically. Psalm 28 gives the problem of unanswered prayer in the first five verses, the joy of unbounded praise in the next couple of verses, and the promise of undeserved blessing as the wrap-up, last couple of verses. Psalm of David, Psalm 28, unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. There's that rock again. Be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy oracle. You hear the desperation in his voice? Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them after the work of their hands. Render to them their desert, because they regard not the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them. He will not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he hath heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, my song, uh, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength. He is the saving strength of his anointed. Save thy people, and bless thine inheritance. Feed them also, and lift them up forever. The word feed here, by the way, is to shepherd the people, is what it actually says. And to lift up, the word there is like you would carry a child. And you remind, of course, of Isaiah 40, verse 11. He shall feed a flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arms, carry them in his bosom, and he shall gently lead those that are with young. We sing that as a song. It's from Isaiah 40, verse 11. And uh, Jesus himself reminds us that says, Save thy people. Salvation is of the Jews, he tells the Samaritan woman in John 4, if you may recall. Okay, let's uh, slip in a couple of more short ones here. Book of Psalms, Psalm 29. This is the storm psalm. And there's something interesting in this because seven times we hear the voice of the Lord. It's mentioned. And none other than Dillich calls this the voice of the seven thunders that you encounter. He sugge- not, uh, implicitly suggesting that this is, this is an allusion to Revelation chapter 10, verse four. Remember the seven thunders that utter their voices, but John was not allowed to write down what they said. But this psalm does describe a storm, the gloom of a tempest, the clap of thunder, the flash of lightning, and there's terror on all sides. So the psalm of seven thunders, according to Dillich. Ewald says this psalm is elaborated with a symmetry of which no more perfect specimen exists in the Hebrew. Psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Emphasis on the glory up front. Now it starts with the voices. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. So we have a storm brewing here. It starts out at sea with power and majesty. Some commentators even visualize David in his palace, which is on high ground, watching this come in over over the sea from the north. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian are like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. Got, so you have got lightning going on and so on. So we have, it comes, it's coming ashore from the north. That would be in Lebanon, verses 5 to 7. Syrian is a term for Mount Hermon which is in the near, or in the, excuse me, the, yeah, the, uh, the uh, before Lebanon range, about 9,000 feet in altitude, or 2,700 meters if you're in that world, uh, the highest in Israel. I try to put it for metric for our European audiences, but if God wanted us in the metric system, he would have had 10 disciples, right? Okay, let's um, see. Even the solid fabric of the world seems to rock under the impact of this storm. This is a big storm that's idiomatically coming here. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. That's in the south. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to Kev, discovereth the forests, and his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. So now we come through, uh, to uh, the uh, south, to Kadesh, last few verses. And uh, that's in the extreme south of Judah, according in Deuteronomy uh, Chapter 1, verse 19. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And we have, in effect, an epilogue in the last two verses. So Jewish worshipers use Psalm 29 in their synagogues in their celebration of Hag Shavuot, Feast of Weeks, also called in the Greek Feast of Pentecost, the early church and many denominations today use Psalm 29 in their celebration of Pentecost. Same season, but why? The, the Jews have their reasons, I guess, but uh, the church has their reasons because of Acts 2. You may recall in Acts 2, we had a rush of a mighty wind, we had tongues of fire, the lightning. It, 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 there's some. There's some reason from a church point of view that it would seem to fit Acts chapter 2. So I think that's kind of fun. So I'll leave that with you to chew on and let's take, let's take one more to finish off the evening. the uh, Psalm 30. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. It deals with a new victory going from death to life in the first three verses. A new day from night unto morning uh, uh, verses 4 and 5 and a new heart from pride to humility and a new song from mourning to rejoicing. That's a quick profile of this psalm of thanksgiving. And this is at the dedication of the house of David. Now, there's a lot of debate among the commentators, what does that mean? Some feel, well, it's the dedication of his palace, which he did first. And indeed, it might be. There's some reasons why it seems it could be tied to 2 Samuel 5. But there are other, the other theory is that it's tied to uh, 2 Samuel 24. And remember when David numbered the people and there was the, the plague that he, 70,000 died before that was averted and so forth. Um, and and uh, so his pride got him in big trouble there, as you may recall. And so the dedication, this may be, it was sung, the dedication of the temple commemorating the trauma that led up to that. So let's give it, it's the second of the two theories that I tend to lean to, but we're just guessing. Verse 1, I will extol Thee, O Lord, for Thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto Thee, and Thou hast healed me. O Lord, Thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. For His anger endureth but a moment, and in his, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. See, clearly David had gone through some dark times, and things had gotten better. In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. My prophet is there in my blood. When I go down to the pit, shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my, my glory may sing praise to thee and be not silent, O Lord, my God. I will give thanks unto thee forever. The thou hast has been appeared in here seven times, by the way. The focus is on what God has done. So that's it for tonight. We zipped through a few of these. For your next session, Psalm 31 through 37 would be a good shot. In other words, read the, you know, the, the next seven Psalms. I'm not sure we'll get through all of them in the next session, but we'll see how we go. But uh, don't just read them through once. Try to digest them. See what you can infer from them without the distraction of any weird notes that I add to, the, to your uh, notebook. So with that, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Now, Father, we just thank you for David. We thank you for the heritage of these psalms. We do pray, Father, that you would help us to glean what you have here for us, that we too might go forward in the fear of you and nothing else, that we too might have the assurances and the comfort and the retrieval that David had from the troubles he was in. Father, we thank you for those troubles. We pray, Father, that the lessons not be wasted. We thank you, Father, that you love us that much. We thank you, Father, for your word. We do pray, Father, you just reignite in each of us a new passion, a new hunger that we might grow. As we commit ourselves into your hands, putting you above all our other priorities, we just thank you for who you are as we commit ourselves into your hands without any reservation whatsoever. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-K-House1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.